0: Our 100th episode is coming up on March 12th and we're doing a giveaway. Yes, and to enter, go ahead on the giveaway post tag three friends who aren't already following us. And then if you want to enter a second time for a bonus entry for this giveaway, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel and then send us a direct message with your YouTube username so we can keep track and enter you in for that bonus entry. Yep. for third place, we're gonna be giving away a coffee gift card and stickers. For second place, we're gonna give away third place prize plus a CCNC mug and t-shirt. And then for first place, we're gonna give away all of that plus a pour over a machine made by our friend Matthew that has our logo on it, and a coffee hangout with me, you, and Tyler. Make sure you go and you enter for this great contest. Yes, you don't want to miss it. We'll be announcing the winner on the 100th episode on March 12th.
1: This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their
0: faith and be confident in their faith. Hi, welcome to Christ Culture and Coffee. I'm your host, Robbie Lashua, and I'm here with a very special guest today. Uh, Our co-host Tyler is not here today because he has that new job we were talking about and he's still in training. But we have an amazing guest on the show today, and you're going to be really excited and you're going to really be privileged to hear about the ministry that she's doing, the books that she's written. I want to introduce you to Mary Jo Sharp. Mary Jo, thanks so much for being on the show today. Hey, Robbie. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so you just recently uh, came out with a new book called Why I Still Believe, A Former Atheist Reckoning With the Bad Reputation Christians Give a Good God. That is an awesome title. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So,
1: it's a long, long title, right? It is a long <laughs> title.
0: No, but that is that is great. So I, I know my wife's read some of your other books, like Why Do You Believe That?, Living in Truth. You've written a lot of different books and done a lot in apologetics. So we are so grateful to have you here on the show to kind of talk about your story and uh, what God's been doing in your life through apologetics.
1: Hey, all right. Let's do
0: it. Now, before we get started, because this is Christ Culture and coffee, the coffee is the least important part of the show, we think. But we always like to ask our guests if they like coffee. So question number one, Mary Jo, do you like coffee? A little too much. Yes. Amen. No. (laughs) Is there such a thing? Is that even possible? (laughs) Well, we're glad you like it. What kind of coffee do you like to drink? What's one of your go-to drinks?
1: Oh, I am a black coffee drinker. I really like to taste the beans, but I really don't want anything in it.
0: That's awesome. I completely like right now. Yeah. Black coffee. Do you have a specific (laughs) like now this might be getting too detailed, but do you have a specific region of the world that your favorite coffee comes from like Guatemala or Rwanda or the Jamaican Blue or anything like that?
1: Oh, I don't know. I mean, we have enjoyed some Ethiopian coffee. Yes. so that's been one that I can think of. I don't know if that's my favorite, but that's the one that I know that I like.
0: Yeah, Ethiopian coffee is so good. The the African coffees are um... – they have like fruity notes to them where like the South American they have more like a cocoa and and dark cherry flavor and things like that. So I agree. I really like African coffees a lot. I went to Rwanda last year. Uh, my friends a missionary out there and he hooked me up with all of these different coffees and they're so like I'm spoiled now. I can't just drink like regular stuff. I'm a complete snob, so.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's what my husband says about living up in the Northwest. He's like I could never go back. I'm sure. So just-
0: Like my coffee snobbery has just hit a (laughs) ceiling like (laughs) it's busting through now. (laughs) That's awesome. That's okay though. That's, that's a good thing. God, God made every seed bearing plant, right? for us yeah. to enjoy and we've there really taken advantage of that with the coffee beans. So, well <laughs> hey, let's let's dive into talking a little bit about uh you and your new book and um all the things that God's been doing in your life recently. So, um just a little background for our listeners. So, you were raised in the Pacific Northwest uh, in a non-religious family. Uh but so you you started to identify as an atheist at a certain point. Can you tell us when that happened and why you started to identify as an atheist?
1: Yeah, actually, it's a, it's a weird question for me because um, I didn't really know I was an atheist. Oh. I, I Not until later, not until actually I got into studying apologetics and started hearing the terms theist and atheist. Hmm. But what I grew up as was a person who I would say I'm a product of my culture in that um, we weren't, we're very postmodern. We weren't, we're very relativistic and uh, considered sort of somewhat post-Christian up in the Northwest. And uh yeah, Oregon itself has been a quite a um non-religious state for some time. There's actually yeah. I found some articles on it um dating back into the fifties and sixties. So it's just it's I'm a product of my environment. I wasn't raised in church, but I was raised with a healthy sense of awe and wonder at the universe in which we lived. And a respect for the beauty that I saw all around me in the Northwest and nature. And um, I like that, you know, my dad was a huge Carl Sagan fan. I like to tell people oh, he wow. loved cosmology. I have a picture of him laying on an Oregon beach with Cosmos just draped across his
2: chest. <laughs> his sleep
1: while been that's three. great. So that, that's my background is no church, but uh, very much steeped in Nature and science shows and in, my, in the arts, I was a uh-huh. musician. Oh, I nice. play uh, yeah, I, I actually got an undergrad in music education. Really? And taught at the public schools.. Yeah, what so. instruments do you play? Well, you have to play all of them to get a music and instrumental music ed degree, so I play okay. everything badly. <laughs> <laughs> except my primary instrument, which is saxophone.: Oh,
0: really, yeah. that's cool.
1: Yeah, Yeah. that's
0: awesome. I didn't know that that you played saxophone. That's cool. Are you, like, you and, like, uh, Doug Groothouse should, like, form a jazz band or something, right? Oh, actually,
1: there's (laughs) several apologists, like... Several people, uh-huh. philosophers, theologians, and apologists play musical instruments. So we always we always joke that there's this annual meeting called the Evangelical Theological Society, and yeah. we should all bring our instruments, so we can have a total jam That'd session.
0: That would be really cool. Yeah, you <laughs> couldn't be called the apologetics, though, because there was already a Christian band called that back yeah. in the day. I remember they spelled <laughs> it with an X, but Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's so, really so cool. Coming full
1: circle. I didn't know I was an atheist until later. Uh, I didn't know that okay. my background was uh, void of God. I wasn't even agnostic. I was just not a believer in God at all, and had no reason to, and didn't really trust religion. Hmm. From what I grew up with, a very shallow view of Christianity, so religion seemed odd to me. Uh, okay. And I thought people who were religious were sort of the fringe people. I didn't know, wow. you know, that there were so many people across the world that were religious in nature.
0: Interesting. So eventually, obviously, you you found your way to trusting in Jesus, faith in Christ. Can you tell us a little about that story and how that happened?
1: Yeah. So I did have that awe and wonder at the beauty I saw around me. And I had experiences in um, my band program in high school. I was in a very good band program. So we would play these amazingly beautiful works of art. And I, I kept thinking uh, what is this all for? You know, what is this supposed hmm. to be pointing me to? What's the meaning of this? Uh, how do I know that my life has meaning? And so there were questions of meaning and value that I didn't well form as a older teenager, but I know I was asking these questions and that I was searching. And at that same time that I was having sort of this search for meaning and purpose and value, um, I had a high school band director who I greatly respected. Of course, I became a band director oh, wow. uh, <laughs> and he uh, he was a Christian hmm. who hadn't actually shared his faith with anybody else publicly And so he took it, he was burdened for me. And so he took a risk and he shared his faith with me my senior
0: year of high school. Wow. At school or? Yeah, we were at school. Wow. Uh, We
1: we went outside of the building, but we were (laughs) at school. Okay. (laughs) And uh, he was a a good friend of the family's as well. So he um, gave me a Bible and he said, Mary Jo, when you go off to college, you're going to have hard questions. I hope you'll turn to this.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And prayed with me. And he hit me at just the right time when I had questions and I was looking for answers, and so I, I actually began to read that Bible.
2: Mm.
1: It was a NIV one year, so it had readings okay. for every day. Yeah. So I was reading, you know, parts of the Bible every single day, and uh, I got to the point where I came to believe that there was probably a God. And I needed to check it out because he, you know, the, this this God, this concept of God started ticking all the boxes like, oh, this is why I think I have meaning. Oh, this is why I believe in justice and injustice. These are uh, things that are really important. Like, It started making sense of the universe. And so when I went off to college, I actually did like sort of the opposite thing. I didn't go off to college and lose faith. I went off looking to, you know, find out what faith was all about.
0: Interesting. And with-
1: Went to church on my own.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you were rebelling from your atheistic family's background go, and going to church. Go. Experimenting right. in college. Yeah.
1: Right. Wow. A wild experimentation of <laughs> church life.
0: <laughs> That's so funny. That is fascinating. You know, your story reminds me of, um, you know, Justin Martyr, right? Second century yeah. apologist. So uh, reading about his conversion is fascinating because he was studying philosophy. And then one day he went to take a walk on the beach and there was an old guy he met who was a Christian who introduced him to the Lord and he became a Christian then and there. And then he goes on to write all these apologetics books. It's kind of like your story. There was a teacher (laughs) that was just faithful to share truth with you. And now you're out there doing all this stuff. It's really interesting.
1: I I don't know that my story is going to end the same as Justin Martyr. Well, let's hope.
0: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope not. Right. But yeah, hopefully your books will continue to be read for, you know, hundreds of years, maybe after, (laughs) after you're gone, that'd be awesome. So, well, Hey, so, Now, in your story, you eventually, like you said, you start going to church and you start experiencing a weird culture shock when you kind of joined the Christianese world, right? Can you tell us a little bit about, about what happened there and your experience with that?
1: Yeah. So that, I tell some stories in the book about that, about how, you know, here's this Portland, Oregon girl who doesn't know really anything about church culture. And I step into this Southern evangelical church, Mm. um, (laughs) as a new believer. So after, um, after I started going to churches, I eventually found one where I heard a clear explanation of the gospel. And I actually uh, accepted Jesus when the pastor came and visited me at my apartment. Okay. So, um, so I'm visiting this new church and actually by this time I'm married, I was young, married in college. I was one of those girls that met my husband and knew that we were going to get married Right? Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> did that he know happened. or did you just know?
1: <laughs> I knew.
0: Okay. Well, that's good.
1: <laughs> so we were young married and, uh, he was a Southern Baptist boy, had grown up mm-hmm. in Oklahoma in a small town. We we're quite a pair. Wow. What uh, a
0: difference <laughs> between the two of you. Yeah. That's interesting.
1: That's we say God has a good sense of humor, but <laughs> us together. Nice. <laughs> so we're going to this church and, you know, I'm nervous because this, you know, my first, I just became a believer and this is going to be my first worship experience mm. where I tell the church I've become a believer and all that. So my husband and I are getting ready and I ask him like, is this appropriate? Is what I'm wearing appropriate for church? And he's like, <laughs> oh, you look fine. You're a fine looking woman, blah, 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 laying it on Yeah, thick. <laughs> so we go to church. And as I'm coming into the church, um, there's a, the pastor's wife. So this is the guy's wife who led me to the Lord. Mm. She's standing at the entrance to the sanctuary and greeting everybody as they come in. Now, the first thing that she does when she sees me, I'm all smiley and trying to fit in <laughs> and nervous, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't know what this culture's like. Sure. She, yeah. The first thing that she does is she looks me over and says, oh, honey, we need to find you better clothes.
0: Oh, that's <laughs> awful.
1: That's my hello, welcome to the church. Jeez, right?
0: Yeah, that's terrible.
1: So that I, I shared that in the book as an instance of many things that happen. It's an example of the kinds of things I experienced where I sort of feel like people were trying to make me fit the culture rather than trying to disciple me mm-hmm. to become more like Jesus. And that produced in me a distrust of people who said they believed in God, because what I'm seeing is that they actually are committed to things that are not Jesus. Yeah. Over above Jesus and they're trying to make me fit that and there's tension because of that. So I begin to say, you know what, I don't see these people as really believing the Bible. I actually see them as, you know, that's something they profess, mm-hmm. but in their daily lives they're just wallowing in their vices. They don't even try. I I, I saw patterns mm-hmm. of ugly behaviors where people weren't even trying to live as though the Bible were true. That caused a lot of distrust in me. Sure. And uh I eventually I transferred first it starts with, did they really believe in God? I don't see people who really believe in God and are holding themselves accountable mm-hmm. to this Bible.
0: Yeah, isn't um, that, they- and that's that's what happens so often. I mean, i you know, I've talked with a lot of atheists. Uh, as as an apologist and as a pastor, and one of the biggest complaints from them is, you know, why does God allow evil? Is usually number yeah. one, but the number two is Christians don't act like Jesus, <laughs>
1: right? A hypocrisy issue. Yeah. yeah,
0: and 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 sadly, there that's true. Um, yeah. So, and it's hard, I think, sometimes for people to to think through how do I distinguish between what a religion or what a teacher says and the doctrines versus how well the followers are are adhering to it, right? That's yeah. a tough thing that people think through because their initial um, introduction to it, like you going to church, is how do people act towards me? And so yeah. we really have a cool opportunity to be Jesus' hands and feet, but we also have a huge opportunity to screw it up when we let legalism or other things get in the way of what Jesus says.
1: Yeah, and that's that's actually a very important point because if you look at the scriptures in John 17, you have Jesus in the garden praying before he goes to the cross, and mm-hmm. one of the things he prays for is that we'll all be one. Yes. Uh, so he's praying that there's to be this great unity in Christ, and he says so that the world will know that you know God has sent him. Mm-hmm. So it's this huge part of our apologetic. Actually, Francis Schaeffer calls it the final apologetic. Mm-hmm. The way that we love one another is a huge testimony to the world, that Jesus is really who he said he was. So now while that can't be the litmus test for whether or not Christianity is actually true, for the propositional truth of Christianity, it's sure going to play a huge role uh, in the lives of ourselves and others Mm -hmm. as we're seeking to evangelize people or to share Christ with them. If they don't see it and they think we're a bunch of hypocrites uh, and we're not admitting when we're wrong and we're not working on our vices and we're not trying to become more Christ-like, these are things that are going to keep people from wanting to be a part of our community.
0: No, that's the truth of it. And I was recently reading about, you know, the the Christian movement of the first couple of centuries after Jesus' death, and those people were insane about loving their community. Like, you know, they would they would enter into places and they would uh, serve the sick and the diseased at the point of where they got sick and diseased and they got killed from it but they didn't care when the rest of pagan society was trying to ostracize themselves from these sick people or you even think about the christians who would go to the the public dumps in the roman empire and take little girls that were left for dead and adopt them and raise them as their own like that's the type of christianity that 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 spread you know throughout the roman empire and yeah. and then we're over here chastising people for not dressing like our southern baptist culture <laughs> it's it's so fascinating to me cuz oftentimes I think would Jesus be allowed to come to my church? Cause he like drank wine. Would he be allowed in? Uh, Cause he didn't dress necessarily, <laughs> right? In <laughs> our cultural norms, it's so crazy these ideas that people get about what it looks like to have church protocol. Versus, why don't we just follow what what our Lord and Savior, the guy we call, you know, we name ourselves after? How about we just follow what he says instead of making up all these additional norms and rules? And it keeps people yep. away from Jesus. You know, it's so sad.
1: Yeah, and that's and I think it causes a superficial roadblock to coming yeah. to know the truth of Christ because Absolutely. there's not, you don't get to see once you're turned off and you, you start emotionally turning off, especially then you're not going to go into the great intellectual depths of Christianity to see what's there as far as worldview and philosophy, philosophical framework. And, you know, it does it make sense of the world. You're not even going to get to that point because you're so turned off mm-hmm. from the church itself. Yeah.
0: Yep. And that happens to a lot of people, you know, I was speaking about, um, I was speaking at a church uh, I was like last summer on homosexuality and transgenderism and we had a Q&A with ch- you know church people they all agreed with like what the bible says but then the, you know the questions become how do we go about loving our kids who've fallen into that lifestyle how do we how do we go about people who disagree with us and and how do we love them well and this one lady said you know we've got such a long way to go at loving the LGBTQ community, and they are, and she, she was crying because her daughter has, has gone into that lifestyle, but she yeah. said that um, they love people way better than we do, and we need to do a good job of it, you know, and it was emotional. And um, I was thinking about it driving home, and I thought, she's wrong. Like, that's not true. They're, they're the same as us. They're really good at loving people that agree with them. But yeah. they're not good at loving people in general. And we have to be better than that. We, f- we follow a guy who says, love your enemies, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Pray yeah, for those who check. persecute yeah. you. It's not just about loving people who agree with us. But so often, that's, that's the tendency of all human beings is to love our friends, love people who agree, and not go out of our way to love people who intentionally disagree or are actually persecuting us. So I, I want the church and I, I, I want myself to get to that point of actually living that out. Right, That would be great. Yeah. So in your, uh, in your book, you write that you'd been looking for a life-changing, Christ-focused community, right? And uh, that you didn't really come about that when you entered into the church. <laughs> so how did that affect your, your uh, seeking truth, your pursuit of God? What, what happened with that encounter?
1: Yeah, that's that's the thing is I was looking for the source of all this truth, goodness and beauty in the world. And I thought, oh, I found the people that are looking for this and Mm -hmm. giving their lives over to this. And then I got in the church and I found people who are just they're just people. They're like everybody else. Right. They have all the same problems of everybody else. (laughs) But uh, getting in I think getting in ministry and starting to see some of the more ugly things that happen uh, in communities of people when you're in leadership that started to really impact my faith for ill in the fact that I say like my faith in people had kind of flatlined and my faith in God needed resuscitation. Like I Mm -hmm. needed, I needed to, I need something um, because I didn't want to be in this community anymore because to me it seemed fake, inauthentic. And I, I, and I wanted to be in a community where um, people were actively pursuing God if he were real. And then mm-hmm. I decided, wait a minute, maybe that's the problem. Maybe he's not real. So maybe I really need to check into that. Oh, man. And okay. that's where, yeah, that's where I got started to get involved with apologetics. I just didn't know I was doing that. I would just mm-hmm. went looking for answers to, I didn't even know how to frame them. I was saying things <laughs> like, okay, how do I know God's real? Okay. <laughs> Who talks about that? Because yeah. What I what I found in the church was they just assume things. They assume the truth of what they believe and then they proceed from there, which, you know, to some extent makes sense. Cause you can't, you can't do Bible studies and all that. If you're always having to go back to the, just the foundational part, sure. but the foundational part was never covered. It was
2: always <laughs> assumed.
1: So I didn't know how I knew this was true. And I went, looking for answers to that. Maybe I had gotten duped. Maybe I just needed God at a certain point in my life or I, you know, I've, I was having a hard time as a young college student. This filled a need for me. I was trying, what happened to me? And I needed to figure that out. Mm-hmm. I, by the way, I got to a point with the church where when I considered, well, maybe I need to look at whether or not this is true. Mm-hmm. I, I had to think, do I even want it to be true?
0: And, and that's that an important that. question to ask yourself. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because I wasn't sure if maybe I desired to find it false because I was so done with Mm -hmm. people in the church. I was so done with this community. And that was a thing that was hard. I don't think I really knew that idea, like until I started reflecting on it later. Like, I think I was looking for a way out. Mm. I think I was looking for something else, something other than
0: this. So you can move to the friendly community that was seeking truth and beauty because it wasn't found in this church, right? Right. That's so. so interesting. That's that's a huge question to ask yourself, which I think a lot of people when they have doubts don't ask themselves. Um, either they want to remain in Christianity and and they're right like they're believing in truth but they don't have a reason for believing it other than the bible says it i believe it that settles it you know theology yeah. or that I, I you know i don't want to disappoint my family so i'll remain in this fantasy world or they leave it because they were mistreated and you were saying now listen Human beings mistreat other human beings all the time, <laughs> but do I want this thing to be true? Um, and that's, I think Frank Turek even, he asked people a lot, like, if if I could show you that God exists, would you believe in him, right? It's the same question. Do you want it to be true? Because you can yeah. reject it even if you're somewhat convinced that it's real, you know? We, we can make choices still. So I think that's a huge question to contemplate, Mary Jo. That's really interesting. That you found yourself in that place. So, (laughs) so, so, okay, let's keep moving on with the story. So, you were a music teacher early on in your career, Mm -hmm. and then you like do a whole 180, and you say, I'm gonna go into a master's program in apologetics at Biola University. (laughs) <laughs> how how did you hear cause you said you know you didn't know you were even asking apologetics questions? How did you hear about apologetics and then decide I'm just gonna go study that at Biola?
1: Yeah. That was because I I had one day snuck into the church library <laughs> <and> <laughs> looking for these kind of books. I didn't want anybody seeing what I was doing. Cause I didn't even tell my husband I was having these doubts. Mm. So I found the book The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Yeah. And so that I started reading that and I went, Oh, these, these are the questions I should be asking. Like, Mm -hmm. this is the material that I need is the the foundation work on whether or not Christianity is true. So then I started reading the people that he was interviewing and I started watching their debates, like Mm -hmm. William Lane Craig. I went to William Lane Craig's debates, and as part of my research, I thought, okay, who else is writing on this? So I wanted to get anything I could find. And one of the things I found was the Christian research journal
2: Mm -hmm. and in
1: there, was an advertisement for Biola's Masters in Apologetics, and I opened up it's the, the magazine, and I look at this advertisement, and it's everybody that I'm reading already, like <laughs> J.P. Moreland and Gary Habermas, and so I went, oh my gosh, that was the second time in my life that I knew that I was going to do something immediately, and I, wow. you know, the first, the first was marrying my husband, mm-hmm.
2: the second
1: was. This apologetics degree, and it was a w- complete 180 because at that exact moment in my life, I was looking for a master's in music education. Okay. Because I wanted to go on and teach music at the college level, and then go on and take my own symphony orchestra. I had one in mind, which was the Boston Pops Symphony Orchestra. Oh
0: wow! Yeah.
1: So, for those of you who are unfamiliar, that's John Williams' orchestra. The- oh. He used to be there, and he wrote all the Star Wars music, the Harry Potter music, yeah. Indiana Jones. Yeah, He's a big the-
0: time movie composer. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: Dreaming small there. <laughs> but at that moment in my life, that's when, um, when I was trying to find this master's degree in music
2: mm.
1: and that wasn't really panning out for me. Um, all of a sudden this pops up in a magazine and like, I see it and I go to my husband, I said, this, this is what I'm going to do. And he said, what is apologetics?
0: <laughs> and he's grown and he grew up in the church, right? He grew and up in the Bible even, belt in the yeah. church. Yeah.
1: In seminary
0: as well. Wow. Oh, man. And he doesn't even <laughs> know what it is. You know what's sad? And, and his, his story is not uncommon. So uh, I went to Arizona Christian University, and we could either take ethics or apologetics. And I, I thought, I'll take apologetics. And I, I fell in love with it. But it's just one class, right? Then I went to Phoenix Seminary, and there was a summer elective you could take called apologetics. That was it. So not yeah. even part of pastoral training. Right. And I've, yeah. for years I've thought something's really wrong with this. <laughs> like, we <laughs> shouldn't be teaching our pastors how to do apologetics. So your husband's story, it's, it's so common, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. yes. He, but he was really, what's great about my husband is he's like, all right. It, she seems really excited about it and it seems to really be an important for her. So he went and started researching right away what it mm. was and, and then how to fund it.
0: (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that makes (laughs) sense.
1: (laughs) He's immediately like trying to make things work. And so that that's the 180 is that I went through a time of doubt, a time of crisis, a time of wondering why I believe and what it was I believed and just saying, you know, how do I know that any of this is true? And that launches me into the degree in apologetics. And, you know, at the time I hit Biola, I'm kind of disillusioned with the church. Mm -hmm. I'm very disillusioned with the church. And I'm looking for people who I would say at that point, sort of naively, but I'm looking for people who quote unquote, actually believe in God. And then I, I run into the Biola program and I see a bunch of people spending a bunch of money to learn just (laughs) what they believe in God and why they believe it. Um, and there's no, like there wasn't an end game for a lot of them other than maybe they're teaching in their, you know, church, or Mm -hmm. it's not like they're going to get a huge promotion at their job, you know, with this degree or something.
0: Yeah. No, No, that's true. That is awesome. Like, and again... Uh, I get no royalties from Biola. Actually, I had to pay them a lot of money for my degree from there. But uh, I can't highly recommend that program more. You know, it's so good. And also, what's going on with you guys at Houston Baptist? I say oh, yeah. that's probably the next best apologetics, in my opinion. It's it's great what you guys are doing over there, and all the profs that you have. And I'm hoping that more Christian universities will develop apologetics. I know uh, Colorado Christian, right? They announced that they're having the Lee Strobel School of apologetics starting up. Yeah. and That's where we need to go. And I, I would like to see apologists be synonymous with pastor again, because that's what exactly. it used to be. And so, yeah, really excited about um, what's going on at Biola. But let's talk a little bit about, okay, so you go to Biola, you get the knowledge, you see real Christians who love Jesus, who are intelligent and have reasons for what they believe. And now you are an apologetics professor at Houston Baptist University. Yeah. (laughs) So how that is like a crazy leap from, I'm really sick of the church, now I'm involved (laughs) teaching apologetics (laughs) to a bunch of Christian kids. So in in your teaching, you kind of base it on helping other people understand their faith, which builds confidence, but then also be able to share their faith and their arguments with other people so that they can go out and evangelize well. But you have, um, I think you have an interesting leg up with this because you've seriously doubted your faith, and apologetics is kind of the thing that brought you to faith. Um, so, so I grew up in the church. I don't have that. My story is more like your husband's, right? Um, so you have a credibility with atheists that I don't necessarily have. And how have you <laughs> found that to uh, help out with your, your teaching at HBU and your writing and your speaking? How, how's all that kind of coming together with what God's done throughout your whole life?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, so I think my, I don't know how much credibility it gives me with atheists. I guess it depends on the person, Sure. but I do, I do have a background where I wondered what religion was for and thought it was weird and thought that was for people on the fringe of society. So I, I think it part of my atheist background, what it does for me is that it helps me be more empathetic up front mm-hmm. with the atheist questions and with people saying that they're atheist, because I remember, Christianity being weird. I remember (laughs) thinking that to myself, like I could see how they would think, like, can't you see how odd this is that you believe in this immaterial realm? And, you know, you believe in this God being, and I'm like, yeah, actually I can, because I remember what it was like to be that person. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think my, my background has really helped me as as far as my atheist background, that's helped me with being more empathetic and not uh, adverse to people who say they're atheists right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And then, um, the, just going through the time of doubt, I think has really helped me because obviously I've had to work through some of these really hard arguments. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just saying the Bible believes it uh, or the Bible says that I believe it, that settles it. I'm actually having to dig through, well, why do I trust the Bible? Well, why do I trust there's a God? You know, I have to dig through some of these fundamental issues. How do I know that I can trust my reasoning skills, things like that, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So having dug through all of that, I'm looking at these atheist guys and I'm saying, you know, um, I understand your questioning. I'll join you on that instead of it's not, it doesn't have to be combative. Uh, I can actually come alongside you. Uh, in, in fact, CS Lewis said, you know, where we have a similar question with someone, we have a friend, we don't necessarily have to have the same answer. And I think that's sort of my approach from going through doubt and going, having this, um, time of questioning, I can have, friend an atheist who is having the same kind of questions Mm -hmm. about is there a God and how do we know that? And, you know, why would you say that you believe in things like the immaterial realm and all that? So I think that's what actually helps me uh, in my teaching and speaking to others is that um, I'm not really intimidated. I'm more curious about why people hold differing views from what I hold.
0: That's so great because I, I, and I so to be completely honest, so I grew up in Northern Arizona, which was founded by Mormons. I don't know if you know that, but Northern Arizona was yeah, founded by actually the LDS. So, um, so a bunch of my friends growing up were Mormons, right? And um, I always wanted to know why, you know, why don't we believe what they believe? What's wrong with what they believe? So I started doing, you know, apologetics when I was young, but There was always this fear of confrontation right? And I want to be safe, and I don't want to rock the boat, and I don't want to have people upset with me. And um, I, I grew out of that, thankfully. And now it's fun to talk with people who disagree with you. But, but I think a lot of Christians have that tentative, hesitant, I'm a little scared to talk with people who disagree with me, because I don't want to offend them. And then our culture also pushes that idea on us, like, if you offend me, you hate me, or <laughs> if you disagree with me, you hate me. And um when you just love people and you're nice to them, they let you disagree with them. It's very interesting. Like That's not the real world. We live in this fear of something I don't think really happens too often. And so I appreciate yeah. that that's kind of how you approach it. If you're kind to people, like you know Peter says in the apologetics verse in 1 Peter 3.15, you're gentle and you're respectful, um, it goes a long way. We're actually, in a couple of weeks, uh, we're having an atheist on our show uh, and he he made a response video to one of our old videos and it went viral. But I was it was so interesting because uh, all these atheists would watch our video and they'd come on our YouTube channel and just write a bunch of hate mean stuff. Right. Yeah. And but he was nice in the video and he's really funny. And so I'm excited <laughs> to have him on the show. But. Uh, We've been Facebook messaging, and it was cool because he apologized and said, "Hey, I'm really sorry that all these people are being mean to you. I don't want to be like that, and I don't think what they're doing is right." And I said, "I agree with you. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't want, and I don't think when Christians do that, it's right either. You know. So I think there is a way to have a mutual understanding and kindness and respect to people that you disagree with. So I definitely love how you approach that. So I have um." Uh, interesting question for you going on uh, with that. So wh- while you were in school, you became close friends with David Wood and Nabil Qureshi. <laughs> so David Wood, actually, him and I, we just spoke at a conference out here in Phoenix last weekend. Uh, the oh, okay. Doctrine for the Block, he was out here for that. <laughs> and then um, I had Nabil as a professor at Biola. I think he taught islam apologetics once <laughs> and yeah. i was in that class there hey and, uh, all right. yeah it was awesome we went to dinner and hung out and like he was he was a phenomenal phenomenal guy but as you became friends with Nabil and david you say that they taught you that people and god were more important than having your own little haven in the way you wanted to have it so how did the friendship with those two guys kind of change your life and and, and set you on the trajectory to what you're doing now
1: Yeah, yeah, they are. Those two guys, their their personalities are as big as their stature, right? They're Mm -hmm. like tall. They're tall dudes, and they have big (laughs) personality. Um, But for me, those two guys, one of the the first ways that they changed me was that um, in in my church experience, they were the first two that really took me seriously for the ideas that I had, for Mm -hmm. the thoughts that you know I was thinking about how do I know God exists and how do I know what, what religion has truth and those mm-hmm. kinds of things. They really were the first two guys that really respected me and my opinion. And not just that, but saw that God had gifted me with some of these ideas and this way of mm-hmm. thinking and wanted to use it for the way that I was gifted. And so those two made an impact on me and that they, uh, <laughs> they saw what I had and they wanted to run with it right away. Mm-hmm. They thought that was awesome. <laughs> Uh, and then, um, they also taught me in that process of sort of like drawing me into their ministry and, and respecting my views and saying, Hey, put your stuff out there. Hey, let's do debates. Hey, let's, you know, they taught me that I had somewhat of a selfish heart, um, because I watched, I, I didn't really want to be a public Christian. and And that's yeah. kind of very much my culture that I grew up in, which that, that relativism of, well, that's good for you, but keep it to yourself. You know, pe- mm-hmm. nice people don't talk about religion and politics, kind of thing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and here I am with David and Nabil, and Nabil was when I met him, he was just coming, he had just become a Christian the the August before, and he was you know just thrown into the Biola program mm-hmm. to get an education in Christianity. And he pretty much left everything like he his family was very unhappy. If you know yeah. his story with what happened with him becoming a Christian, because mm-hmm. they were an upstanding Muslim family and, in their community. Mm. So this was devastating to them. And I watched the, the anguish and pain that he went through with his family, how much he sacrificed to be a Christian. And then I saw David, who's this sociopath. He
0: just yeah And Jesus. let me say something to that you're not being mean he's literally a sociopath yeah, he doesn't exactly. feel emotion um yeah. yeah when people hear that they're like geez that's a horrible thing to say about your friend it's true like and he'll say yeah. he'll say the same thing sure yeah he's
1: yeah. he's a bona fide yeah.
0: sociopath. no he really is
1: that's credentials <laughs> um so and it, this guy is just I mean, I know part of it is his sociopathy, but he's just fearless for Jesus. He is willing to die right now for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I saw these two guys that had sacrificed so much and uh, were just so on fire for, as David Wood calls him, King Jesus, Mm -hmm. that it caused me to question myself, like, what am I doing? You know, Mm -hmm. here I am and, and... by that time I'm starting to lean like, there's a God. I've, I've seen the arguments. I I can't get around this. And now why am I so afraid to commit to that publicly? Mm -hmm. Why don't I want to share publicly what I believe? And I think David and Nabil helped me see that I'm kind of a Jonah running away
2: Mm.
1: while they're sort of a Paul and Silas running right into trouble. And they helped bring me around to a point of saying, if this is true, I should live for it as truth Mm -hmm. and be willing to publicly proclaim it and not be ashamed Mm -hmm. and actually try test out that verse. You know, that Paul says, you know, he's not ashamed of the gospel Mm -hmm. because it's the power. It's the power, right? Yes. And uh, so trying to, get myself up to being a public Christian. It just, David and Nabil really just threw me into public Christianity and said, you know, try it out, see what happens. Mm. God's there and he's going to catch you, you know, and uh, that was scary for me.
2: But yeah, those I'm two sure. kids really
1: taught me that I didn't really want to do that. But when I saw them and how they loved Jesus, mm-hmm. it was so inspiring to me to um, stand up for what I believed. And um, yeah, so I would say that David and Nabil really brought me into – looking at my own life and how I was living my life as a Christian. Okay. And they really brought me around to that.
0: That is awesome. Well, and, and thinking about being thrown into, you know, full-time ministry, public Christianity for Jesus, you said it, and it was like a scary thought, Years ago, I don't remember. I don't even remember when this was, but I saw a YouTube video of David Wood and Nabil and you going up to Dearborn, Michigan, to like an Arab <laughs> festival, and it was like I was I was scared watching the video. <laughs> so I- How did you, like, handle that? Like, that was—I remember you specifically saying, this is America. You can't do that. This is America. Um, And I thought, oh, my gosh, these people are nuts, right? Um, But that's, that's what you're talking about. These guys would just push you and themselves into, let's go and share Jesus with people who need it. And let's go and combat the ideologies of our time. Even in the most yeah. scary of situations, our, our listeners might not know, but Dearborn, Michigan is like a Muslim hub, right? It's, it's the most populated area in the country of Muslims, and they yeah. almost have, and I don't know a ton about it, but they almost have like Sharia law enlisted there, right? Yeah, that's
1: what we were trying to discuss in the video is that we weren't being treated with um, the American laws. Uh, mm-hmm. when we were up there and we were talking to people on the street and we were filming and we were, we were being told we couldn't do certain things, but that were constitutionally our rights to be able to do. So mm-hmm. there was, that's what was going on in Dearborn. And the next year that we went up there, David and Nabil actually got arrested at the same festival. So oh, man. That, <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> we, uh, we had some wild times, but the the point being that, yeah, they threw me into uh, ministry and showed mm-hmm. me. You know, like I didn't instantaneously combust. I'm still around. Yeah,
2: you're doing good. <laughs> and, yeah, sure. Yeah,
1: and we've had you know people who are very aggressive towards us, and mm. it's okay. Uh, it's okay because what we're doing is we're trying to share uh, the truth with people. We're trying to share love with people, and we're trying to do it with gentleness and respect. And that's, I mean again the, the truth is going to offend and and not that we should be offensive but the truth is going to offend Absolutely. so some of those things are going to happen and once you find out how you deal with it you kind of like you said earlier you just kind of get past it you you grow beyond that and you go yeah it's going to happen mm-hmm. um, i'm not going to be a purveyor of that t- type of feeling but it's going to happen to me because yes. We live in a fallen world. Yep. So yeah, David and Nabil really helped me with that. And like you said, they <laughs> kind of threw me into the fire.
2: Yeah. Like, no, right they away. did. <laughs> that
1: was right after I graduated from Biola. <laughs> was bam. Right into street witnessing. And
2: yeah.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> you know, it's interesting like hearing. So, cause, so you didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, David didn't grow up in a Christian home. Nabil didn't grow up in a Christian home. But God takes an atheist from the Pacific Northwest And a sociopath who spent time in prison, and a (laughs) former Muslim. And now the three of you have written books and and doing Apologetics ministry. And and since, you know, Nabil's gone home to be with the Lord. But I just, it reminds me of uh, Acts when Paul went to Philippi, right? He goes to Europe for the first time. And you have Lydia, the rich fashionista, you have the demon possessed girl and you have the Philippian jailer. And they were the ones who begin the church. And, you know, it's very, it's similar. Like these people from random backgrounds that you wouldn't think go together, but they have an affinity of Jesus. And and now they're going out and changing the world. It's fascinating story. Um, it encourages me as a Christian, right. Who's just kind of, uh, born into a Christian family and came to know the Lord when I was young. It's a very different contrast to my life. Um, and I like hearing about Jesus doing those things. <laughs> it's very, very <laughs> cool to see.
1: <laughs> he can so, use anybody, right? That's what yeah, like, we're getting at. <laughs> it's, it,
0: you know, he can use anybody and he can even use people who grew up in the church, right? I, I have to remind yes. myself of that sometimes too. Yes. It's like, oh, uh, I've heard so many people say, oh, I have a real boring testimony. And yeah. um, I think I heard a guy one time say, think about all that God saved you from right? Mm-hmm. Think about all the things you didn't have to go through because you have a boring testimony. that's a yeah. good thing. And so it's interesting how God can use people at different places and in different backgrounds. And it's encouraging to know that he's the one at work, not us manufacturing whatever yeah. we're trying to do, you know?
1: No. And I'm glad you said that. I'm really glad you said that because I hear that from Christians all the time. Uh, and I, I, I'm actually jealous of their Christian upbringing mm-hmm. and that they got to know the Lord from a very young age and walk alongside him, uh, from a very young age. So uh, you know, I'll say things like, yeah, you've lived in Narnia your whole life. And
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> a good, that's when, good way to say it.
1: When it wasn't winter, right? Yeah. I lived sort of in Narnia as winter where Christmas is never coming and that's mm-hmm. not a place you want to live. So it's, it's actually beautiful for Christians who grew up in the church and have yeah. known the Lord their whole life.
0: Yep. It is. Well, so, uh, As a Christian, you aren't obviously uh, free from uh, people coming against you and attacking you. Um, You're definitely not free from suffering and evil intruding your life. So how have you dealt with the problem of evil and suffering in your own life as a Christian and, and kind of what has God taught you through those things?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the problem that we're dealing with, the problem of evil, which is mm-hmm. one of the most frequent objections to the existence of God. Yes. And uh, so for me, there's sort of two parts to this. There's the theoretical and the experiential. And the in the book, I treat this this one debate that I was reviewing where the, the debater brought up this question of suffering. He's like, hey, if there's no pain and suffering in the world, then the force of the question about God's existence in light of all this pain and suffering just goes away. And I was thinking, I was thinking on that and I thought, yeah, we all experience pain and suffering and Mm -hmm. to different extents and in different ways and in different encounters. And so, um, the, the difficult reconciliation for me is to bring together the knowledge of the problem of evil with the experience of the Mm -hmm. problem of evil. And I think that's really hard Mm -hmm. for a lot of people because we're all going to experience evil But we don't spend a lot of time thinking on it, on the concept of evil or why we think it's a real thing that happens, you know, why we think there is pain and suffering in the world. In fact, we don't tend to engage it until we're in the middle of something like crisis level or trauma level. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Uh, And then we tend to get blown up because we're not thinking well at that point uh, Mm -hmm. because we're hurting. So the experiential really makes it difficult to think about the theoretical if you don't spend time on the theoretical, like so... Why? What do you believe about good and evil? And I had to do that myself. Why do you think there are things there's a way things should be? Why do you keep mm-hmm. saying there's justice and injustice? There's good. There's evil There's right. There's wrong. I kept looking back through my own life. And I believed that there's a way things should be like racism is wrong.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, being um, a bigot is wrong. And mm-hmm. um, just marginalizing people is wrong. But where what do I mean? That's wrong.
0: Yeah, what, what does that mean? Of, yeah.
1: What kind of standard am I comparing that against? <laughs> so am I saying there's a way that people should be? There's a standard. They, they, like some kind of standard that we're not living up to is what I seem to be saying. Mm. And yeah. that's what I'm seeing in this world. But the problem is what is that standard?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it seems to be a standard of good, some kind of standard of good. This isn't the way things should be. Uh, racism bigotry all that but there's a way things should be and mm-hmm. it's a, a world in which all of that doesn't exist or, or a world in which we all do what's right to each other and love each other and all that kind of stuff so that standard of good seems to be there for everybody no matter how they flesh it out in their culture no matter what time we live in so what is that standard and for me as a christian i well as a person who grew up without Christianity and then later on considered, you know, became a Christian, I started looking through the options. Well, what's out there to explain this standard of good that we all use. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go into the full detail of this, but long story short, I keep coming back to God as a standard of goodness mm-hmm. and the the Christian God and his qualities and his attributes seem to be the kind of thing that we're all looking for. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, for me, the Christian story best explains that there is a standard of good, mm-hmm. that creation was originally good, but now it is not um, because we've used our good gifts to do really bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have this, we call it, Christians will call it a fallen world mm-hmm. because uh, there's there's death and destruction in the world as a result of evil. So not only do we see that explained in the Christian story, but we actually see an answer to that in the Christian yes. story. Yes. And that's what really like, oh, this makes sense to me, mm-hmm. Right. We're the ones causing the problem, so we're looking for that that goodness, you know, that standard to come back and help us. We're looking for that savior <laughs> yeah. to make it right because that's the only kind of thing that can make it right because we're the ones making it wrong. And so you see him, you see God doing that in the person of Jesus Christ. You see him dying on the cross, taking the consequence of evil, mm-hmm. uh, and then defeating the consequence of evil by overturning death and yes. rising from the dead. So he's put, he's restoring life where there was death as the result of our evil. This is like unique in the Christian story, Christian story. And it's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It's, it's actually a solution. It's an answer to this problem of our pain and suffering, uh, that you're right. Pain and suffering is not the way things should be bigotry, marginal, you know, marginalization, dehumanization, all of these things are not the way it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And God himself shows us that by dying on the cross and restoring the way things are supposed to be. Right. And that's, that's what's so amazing about the Christian story. Sorry, I went all, I went all off on that. No, that's great. <laughs> you know, no, that's that, huge. But that's,
0: Be- people yeah. don't understand, like, because this is when I talk with atheists, the problem of evil is a huge argument. It's, it's, it's really their only argument. And I don't think it's even that good of an argument because Christians believe in a fallen world, but we also believe it's a recognizable fallen world. Right? That's what you were getting at. Every human being recognizes this isn't the way it should be. Like, why do we act like we're caught by surprise when evil intrudes our life? Every time people go through tragedy, it's a we call it a shock, right? Or if people say, "I didn't see that coming." Yeah. How do you not see it coming? Everybody dies. <laughs> like everybody yeah. goes through. Everybody goes through horrific things in this world, but for some reason, we know it's not supposed to be like that. And the Christian story, you're right, we're the only ones that have a solution that makes sense of that. The atheists don't like that evil intrudes their life, and they blame God for it. But if they're right, they don't have an answer or a solution to it. And I often thought, you know, um, the the famous atheist Christopher Hitchens, um, he died of esophageal cancer, I think. Mm. Yeah, I I, I don't— And it's so sad because I've often thought, what's his answer to going through something like that? Right. Tough luck, because there isn't a god to blame, you know. So, so as an atheist, there isn't a hope for there should be. You just basically are saying, you know, like what Greg Kokel says. I don't prefer this, but I can't even call it wrong or right. It's just yeah. I don't, I don't like it for some reason, and that's such a sad worldview to me. Where you, you do recognize right and wrong because you actually live in God's world that He made that we broke, <laughs> but um, you have no solution. So. The Christian story is amazing. I I always will say to an atheist, you know, when they're upset about the problem of evil, I'll say, God is fixing it. Like, it seems like you want God to fix it. And he is through Jesus Christ, like, sending him to come. That's the initiation of the whole creation being restored and redeemed. So our story, it's at least, I mean, I believe it to be true, but it's at least a superior story to all the rest. It's the best option going, so.
1: And that's, that's the thing is, like, we need the theory so we understand it for the experiential side of it. So when we experience it, we have some answers to why this is going on. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean Christians go around, you know, with the sugary sweet like, well, whatever, God's going to make good of everything. You know, we don't yes. do that. We experience pain and suffering at at the depths of anybody else. Mm-hmm. It's just that there is the theory, there is the answer, there is the solution. There's the story of Christ, and um, and it's the real story. You know, it's and it makes. <laughs> yeah. Sense. It makes sense of the world. It's not wish fulfillment. It actually makes sense of our understanding of what it means to be human and of our understandings of things like wrong and right, good and evil, like you mm-hmm. were talking about. It's not our understanding that this isn't just the way things are mm-hmm. and always will be until the universe dies. It's death, right? It's, yes. This is not the way things are supposed to be. And the Christian story actually makes sense of that. So that that's a very important point that you were bringing up.
0: It's a lot like, I mean, this is the difference. We go through the same crap that everyone else goes through. <laughs> yeah. right. Tragedy happens to us. Christians get cancer. My, bro- my brother's had brain surgery four times for cancer. Um, we're not, we're not you know, uh, we're not outside of those types of situations just because we believe in Jesus. In fact, uh, I'm pretty sure we're all going to die. <laughs> that's that's the plan. Yeah. But but Paul says, I love it, he says, we mourn, but we don't mourn like those without hope. There and it is. that's yeah. the difference with Christianity, is we have well-founded hope because Jesus came to fix things, and we have a ton of evidence and a ton of reason to believe that. Um yeah. So, yeah, the problem of evil... It, it, we need to, I, I like how you said it. Like you need to know it intellectually prior to going through it. Cause when your emotions are all over the place, it's not the best time to learn about it <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. Right. As a pastor, when right. people are going through tragedy, they don't say, well, Hey, let's talk about the logical problem of evil. That is not where they're at. <laughs> yeah. You know? That can, <laughs> so, no, that's not a
1: good. That's not good counseling, right? <laughs> it's not at all
0: good counseling. Um, but people should know it prior to the tragedy right. entering their life. So, well, Hey, uh, just kind of wrapping up, um, what's your relationship like nowadays with the church? I know you had kind of a bad experience when you first started going, but what's your attitude towards the church? Do you love the church? Why? What What are your thoughts on that?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's
0: always
1: the, the tough question. Um, and it's one that I would say I still struggle with is mm-hmm. what does what a healthy relationship look like with the church uh, in a fallen world, right. For, um, especially for people who are in ministry, who see all of this, all mm-hmm. the behaviors and the the patterns of behaviors in people's lives. Um, but for me, I treat it like a marriage relationship. Okay. <laughs> you know, there's days when you feel like you really belong there and this makes sense to you. Like, Oh, I, I understand this. <laughs> and then there are days when you wonder what in the world you were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? I just want to walk away and say, I don't need this. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I treat it as though, you know, I made a commitment mm-hmm. and it wasn't just to the Lord, it was to his people.
2: Yes. Um,
1: and the, we, going back to Luke six, which you mentioned early in the podcast, um, was that, um, you know, Jesus said, love your enemies. If you keep going, he said, do, he says, do unto others as you want them to do unto you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So how would I want people to treat me when I'm at my worst?
0: Mm-hmm. That's you a great know? question.
1: Yeah, would I want them to r- walk away and never return because I I was dumb, I was mm. stupid, and ridiculous? Um, I think back to rough times in my marriage, and I say, you know, I don't understand how Roger always stayed with me <laughs> <laughs> because I've said some awful, damaging things and heated mm. arguments, especially about ministry. Mm. But I continue to love the church like Roger continued to love me because he knew I was just struggling. He knew that I was a human being who had flaws yep. and uh, that I needed to be loved in my worst. And now I do want to caveat and say, you know, there are situations in churches, like I'm not saying you should stay through abuse or sure. anything no, like that. No,
0: of course like not. That.
1: But what I am saying is like my relationship was with a lot of people who said a lot of horrible things to backstabbing, gossip, marginalization, all of that stuff. And I, um, I'm trying to do to them what I would want others to do to me, whether or not they return it. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, whether or not they're good to me. And I think that's the beauty and the genius of Jesus in that teaching is that he knows people aren't going to return good to you. He knows that. And he says, yet still do good to them. Mm -hmm. And that's how you stay in close relationship with your Lord and Savior when you're doing uh, what's right, when you're doing what's good. And that's how I, my relationship with the church, you know, I'm still trying to work through what does that look like? Yeah. But at the same time i can tell you for sure that i'm not going to respond in kind to people who aren't doing good to me
0: mm-hmm. yeah mary jo that's so wise and um you know i've been a pastor for youth pastor and now i'm associate pastor of apologetics and i i've been working in mini- full time ministry for 14 years now and um i have been the, the most hurt i've ever been in my life has always come from christians not non-Christians. Right? Yeah. And that's probably cuz I, you know, I'm around more Christians than non-Christians, you know, at yeah, work and stuff, especially. But the other thing that I think about a lot is that um, cuz I'm still trying to work out my relationship with the church. How crazy is that?
2: Like yeah. <laughs> as a
0: pastor, like you're constantly working through it. And yeah. um, one of the things that I I heard a long time ago that helps me immensely is that as a as a pastor, as a servant to the body like you are, um we are a servant to God's people, but they aren't our master. Right. And that helps me think through issues like when people are mean to me, I can say they didn't really mean that. You know, maybe they're just having a bad day. I've had bad days, yeah. right? It's things like that where you go, I'm not I'm not they're not dictating to me how to serve them. I, I follow Jesus, but I can overlook their stupidity. <laughs> or their arrogance, or their legalism, or right, all of these things that, that exist in people. And, and I thank God that people have done that with me. Uh, yeah. I, re- I remember my friend, uh, my, my best friend growing up, he's Catholic, he, he was Italian, so he went to church twice a year, right? So he couldn't <laughs> become Christian, and I was praying for him for like ever. Um, and it was cool, because in college, he came to know the Lord, and now he's serving the Lord at his church, and his wife's a believer, and he's raising his daughter. It's it's so cool to me that God answered my prayers the way I wanted. But, um, I remember when we were in college, we were at a Capitol Records store and <laughs> we were buying CDs cause that's when you were doing that. And he was talking about going into business cause he's really business minded. And I was just so arrogant to him. And I said, well, yeah, that's not the same as what I'm going to do serving Jesus. Like this is so much more important than your life. <laughs> And I was just like, that's just a matter of fact. Oh, no. That's how it is, you know? And man, that really hurt him. And I, I didn't think about it again until he probably brought it up like, you know, three years ago. So this was probably like 2003, and he brought it up a couple of years ago. Like, man, that really hurt me when you said that. And I thought, I was wrong. Like, <laughs> like you yeah. can serve Jesus wherever you're at. And so it's good to see when I'm wrong because it can help me love God's people. But the, the other thing, too, is that I want – if the church is the bride of Christ – I don't want to beat up Jesus' girlfriend, right? I don't want to beat up Jesus' bride. That that uh, uh, it kind of scares me a little bit, you know. And I see a lot of people distancing themselves from the church because the church is full of messy people who are really weird and they've got issues. And yeah. then there's some great people, but I don't want to. I don't want to add abuse or beat up on Jesus' bride. Out of respect for him, not because the bride's perfect, right? But because I respect him and I want to follow what he says. And if he values the bride that much, I, I would like to value the bride in the similar way as he does. Yeah. And, man, yeah. it's tough. <laughs> I mean, it's really <laughs> tough sometimes, you know?
1: Yeah. There's a, there's a great quote by the author Daniel Taylor, and he says, uh, what is amazing, however, is not that the church suffers from every kind of failing common to human beings, mm. but that simultaneously, it's still the primary instrument of God's work on earth. That's
0: <laughs> yeah, so true,
1: right? <laughs> and it's like, I agree with you. You know, I, that's why, that's one of the reasons I wrote this book was because of the hypocrisy of believers issue, sneaking up there next, you know, getting close to the objection from evil mm-hmm. and how often I hear it. And it, it well, yeah. Um, yeah for me personally, I was hoping people who read the book see that I have this naive and idealistic view of what I expected out of Christ- out of Christians, mm-hmm. not out of Christianity, but out of Christians, sure. right? So, um, you know, they're just people. And that is why Jesus is dying on the cross. Yeah. Right? That's why he's dying on the cross for his people. And that includes the church, right? Mm-hmm. That includes the church and she's still fallen. And when she, you know, when, individuals get saved they don't get like a tabla russa they don't get a clean slate sure. where their whole past is wiped out yeah. they're bringing all their vices and everything into the church with them yep. uh, and that's what we're having to deal with i mean it would happen in an. i i like to say yeah i got hurt in the church but you know i could go to an atheist donut eating society <laughs> and there would be the Controller, there would be the insecure sure. person, there would be the gossip, there would be, they're, they're everywhere. It yep. doesn't matter if you're a Christian, atheist, Muslim, Hindu, whatever. We're all people. We have the same basic nature and we all have the same failings, yep. um, as well as triumphs. And yep. so I have to remember that, you know, that I, I have this phrase of like, I'm living in this tension of the beauty of salvation and the beauty of God's creation. Alongside the ugliness of human hypocrisy, and that is the tension that I will live in until Jesus returns.
0: Yes, um, no, that's, that's 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 beautiful, actually. That's very true. <laughs> that's exactly where the situation is. Yeah, that is yeah. awesome. Yeah, and the hypo- the hypocrisy of because Christians are hypocrites in that we don't live out what we wish we could live out. But yeah. I think that's every human being's like that, right? Like they're yeah. not living out what they think they should do, which points to we need this guy to help us. We need somebody to come and and save us from this situation. So, Well, Mary Jo, this has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed having you here on the show today. Uh, Again, I want to tell our listeners, go out and buy her book, Why I Still Believe, A Former Atheist Reckoning With the Bad Reputation Christians Give a Good God. And try not to be a Christian that gives Jesus a bad reputation. I think (laughs) that would be a great goal for 2020. So go out and buy that. It's on Zondervan. Mary Jo, if people would like to look at your other books and the ministry that you're doing, where can they find you? Oh,
1: MaryJoSharp.com.
0: Okay, MaryJoSharp.com.
1: Yeah, and they all can right. find more information, resources, great videos and debates that I like, okay. as well as all my other
0: books. Awesome. And if they want to, uh, uh, how, how would they find, a, like, like if they want to enroll at HBU, at Houston Baptist, you'd be all for that, right? In the oh, apologetics yeah. program, like yeah. you could do one of their profs. So you know, if you live in the Texas area or if you want to travel out there, whatever, check out what they're doing over at Houston Baptist University. It's a really awesome, uh, awesome program. I've heard great things about it.
1: And we're also all fully online, so if you oh, don't
0: that's travel, nice.
1: if you don't want to travel. You can have me as your professor from anywhere in the world. And I will say that I grade all of my own stuff. So really, wow! Yeah,
0: you're, you're actually getting me.
1: <laughs> 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 so yeah, we'd love to have you at uh, hbu.edu forward slash maa, and you can find out more about our fully
0: online apologetics degree. Awesome. Well, Mary Jo, thanks so much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. And hey, make sure, uh, listeners, that you come back next week because for the whole month of February, we are having special, amazing guests on like Mary Jo Sharp. So we're not going to reveal who it's going to be next week, but come back and make sure you tune in. Thanks so much for listening to Christ Culture & Coffee. We'll catch you guys next week.
1: Thanks for listening to Christ Culture & Coffee. If you liked
2: this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.